in this building tonight. Your way into a breakthrough tonight. How many of you understand that if you have a train sitting on a railroad track and that train is standing still, that if you try, you can put just a rock in front of that train. And from a standstill, that train will not be able to push through that rock that's sitting in front of it on the track. Tons and tons of potential power. But there's one thing that's missing. It's called momentum. And when you have no momentum, anything can keep you stopped. But if you take that same train and you back it up a little ways and you get that train running, you could put an entire brick wall in front of it. And when that train hits that wall, it can't help but get out of the way. I'll tell you what we got going in this service tonight. There's some Holy Ghost momentum that's building in this place. I dare somebody to go ahead and push your way all the way through the obstacle. Dance your way right through what's stopping you.
chapter 3 that I want you to notice the context of the revelation of the name there's a bush burning and the bush is burning because we got a reluctant preacher Moses he's on a mission to go back to his grandfather's house and get his people turned loose it's striking to me how many times in the scripture where the name is emphasized that the mission is the deliverance of people. Well, that's better than you acted like it was. When that name was given, it was given for one reason, and that is to save my people from their sins. So when I throw my head back and I praise that name, what I'm really doing is I'm thanking God for all of his manifest characteristics. And those are too numerous to begin to name out among them and first in order of priority is the fact that he came with purpose. He did not come willy-nilly. He came with a purpose and that was I am going to buy my bride back. Yeah. 
Satan had usurped. Man was adrift and bereft of any contact with the divine. But God loved you so much that he robed himself in a veil of flesh and he left heaven and he came down among the sin that was perpetrated in direct rejection of him himself. He didn't just save us. He saved us in spite. We sing about loving him, but human love always has a because attached. I love him because he first loved me. I love him because he bled for me. I love him because. But when you look at the love of God in the scripture, it's not because, it's in spite of. I come simply to remind you for a moment before I preach uh, that nothing you're ever going to do uh, is going to cause his love uh, to stop reaching for you. And when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for me, my soul can't help itself. It cries out, hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. A lot of people that you meet in the church have legitimate reasons for living the way they did when the Lord found them. They came from backgrounds and homes that were not in the apostolic way. And they were raised in conditions that boggle the mind. And yet God never stopped reaching for them. And we may say that, you know what? They might have had an excuse for the way they were. But me, I had no excuse. I was raised by apostolic parents who didn't just act it, they lived it. Every night of my life I went to bed hearing a mother and a father praying in the living room and wailing and travailing. I had every advantage. And yet in my youthful ignorance, as all young men do, I think I know better than everybody else. I walked away from the heritage and the lineage of God. But I'll never forget the night. I pulled into a used car lot across the street from my Sunday school teacher's house when I was a child. And I turned off the car and rolled down the window because I would go there on some nights because I knew every Saturday night she was sitting on that porch in a rocking chair and she was praying for us. And I'll never forget the night that she called my name 
for over two hours and I sat in that car half lit out of my mind with tears running down my face. Don't you tell me that God doesn't love us in spite of our faults. Let's try it again. Just call his name. Come on, remember where he found you and call his name again. The old timers had a saying. My grandmother would say it often in testimony service. We don't have those no more because, well, people decided to start confessing for everybody but she'd say if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side I tremble to think where I would be tonight I tremble to think where your pastor would be tonight I tremble to think where all of us would be tonight if it wasn't for that God of glory who said, I love them in spite of their rejection. I love them in spite of their ignorance. I love them in spite of it all. One verse of my favorite song simply says, His compassions, they fail not. His compassions, they fail not. Before we leave here tonight, it is my full intention for every human being in this room to be in this altar in the presence of Almighty God. Because this is not just a Sunday night, another one out of the year. No, I believe tonight God has called us together because He wants to do something in us, something deep and real and abiding. But in order for that to happen, we have to want it with every fiber of our being. It is my distinct honor to be here tonight. I give the highest honor to your pastor and his wife. I hope you realize how blessed you are. to turn your attention for a few moments to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. My good brother, if I could get a dish towel, a beach towel, some towel. Grab your Bibles and open them to Job chapter 1. I wanted to preach two or three different things besides this tonight. In fact, I gave these people, well, my, my title, I was going to preach about the power of the Holy Ghost tonight, but I could not shake what I'm about to preach to you. Now, it will begin a little differently. 
But I think there is some type of misconception. Thank you. There is a slight misconception that I wish to correct in our mind tonight. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Everybody say his children. See what's happening here is that it was a season of celebration and feasting and Job's children had been in their homes celebrating. And Job being the ever vigilant father, according to the scholars, what this is actually saying when it says Job sent and sanctified them, was he sent them all the things they would need to offer sacrifice unto the Lord for themselves. But many scholars believe that not only did he send it, but he went with it and he ensured for himself that his children were right with God. But I want you to notice, he didn't just pray a prayer, God touch all my children. The Bible says here, that when he got up in the morning, he offered, it said he offered according to the number of them all. One translation said, he prayed for each of them by name. Well, Job, why are you doing this? Well, when you see a colon in the Bible, what's coming after that colon is going to explain why the statement or the principle was listed prior to it. So Job sent to sanctify them. He sent them all the stuff and then he went and made sure they did it. And then it says, colon, here's why. For Job said, it may be, not surely it is, but if there's any possibility, that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart. That's why. That's why. That's why. I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to pour myself in and out for my children. And then there's four words. Thus, did Job continually. If you'll let me tonight, I want to take us to a journey that will culminate in an altar where we will wrestle with eternal things for our families. With the help of the Lord and the prayer of the saints, I'm going to preach to you for a few moments tonight the whole house. The whole house. Not part of it, not some of it, not a couple of my kids. The whole house. 
Thank you for your patience. You may be seated. Thank you. Do not go too far. In perhaps the Bible's oldest book, the book of Job, we are confronted with a subject that is first in the order of importance among all divine things. And for all of us who love God and love family and God's church, this is going to resonate in our souls. When Job's sons and daughters went and feasted in their houses, their father went and sanctified them. He did so by rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of his children. May I simplify it for you and reinforce it. He got up early and he called every child by name because he wanted God to cover them. Job said, I don't know that they've done anything, but I'm not taking any chances that they might have. So what I'm going to do is what all good parents do. I'm going to get up just in case my child has sinned. And I'm going to take him back to the throne of God. But watch me. I'm not going to do it for him. I'm going to go with him and show him how to do it. Can I stop right here and say the greatest gift my parents ever gave me was that they taught me how to tarry in the presence of the Lord. And they taught me how to stay there until you prayed it all the way through. There's been a lot of preaching around and I've heard a lot of it. And I understand what they're trying to do, but I've heard a lot of preaching about just speak it, just name it, just claim it. Well, let me tell you something. When you're dealing with certain things, that'll work. But when you're dealing with flesh, that never works. When you're dealing with flesh, you got to do what the old timers taught us. You got to stay there until you pray all the way through. And what you're praying through is not the devil and the world and none of that. You're praying through your own flesh. My greatest adversary is not Satan. It's not the world, it's not the government, it's nothing but me. I am my own biggest adversary. I am my own biggest problem. If I go to hell, it won't be because Satan tripped me. It'll be because I did not learn to get up every day and die out to flesh. Here we have a father who is offering a sacrifice for the sins of his kids, not because they've done something, but in case they have done something. Let me say it this way. Moses did a lot of stuff. Uh, and Moses is known as one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. 
But I propose the greatest parent in the Bible could have been Job. Because Job did not pray when they sinned. He prayed while they sinned, before they sinned, and in case they sinned. We have too many parents wanting to be their children's friend. I love my children. I'll do anything for my children. I care deeply about them. I take that picture of that baby and his mother and her mother's womb and I pray over it. But let me tell you something. If you don't teach them to pray, you're absolutely damning them to hell. I don't want my kids to have to be saved in spite of me. I want to be with them. I want to be helping them. I want to be aiding them. I want to be a wise parent. I don't want to take any chances with my children's salvation. There's something worse than hell and me going to hell. It's getting there and realizing something I did or forgot to do is the cause for my kids being there. Oh, I know it's old-timey preaching. Can I come and commend something to you? It is our task as apostolic mothers and fathers and elders in the church to transfer this truth from our generation to the next generation. The Bible said from generation to generation. If we give them a lesser truth than what was given to us, we'll turn out like Corinth. Nothing but rubble and the church doesn't exist. Several years ago, on a Sunday morning with no warning, I had my children, their mother, and my sons bring their seats up on the platform and sit down facing the audience. And I had my ushers turn my podium around to where my back was to the audience. And I acted like the church wasn't even there. And I preached to my own family. I preached this, we are apostolics and I set about to define what that was I come tonight into this place and I want to preach the same thing into you we are not quasi apostolics we're not some knockoff apostolics we're not some new breed of apostolics we are the original church that was given in Acts 2 and 38 and I come to preach to you if we don't give them the exact same thing. We are robbing them. There's something called generational drift. Please hear me. Your pastor is very, very, very accomplished. If I mess up with about two rolls of duct tape in two weeks, he can fix it. But please listen to me. 
We cannot afford to give our children their head to do what feels good. We cannot give our children leeway to do what they think is right. We have to teach them the ways of the Lord. Can I tell you the thing that God dealt with me about? As I read the scripture, it kept coming to me subtly at first, and then it came so powerfully. It is this, and I need you to get this. It's our job to teach our children the same truth we received. Not a watered-down version of it. And I got to praying about it, uh, and I began to see our children. They were drifting out to sea, and we were reaching for them, but we could not get them. Uh, can I preach to you today and tell you, if we don't give them what was given to us, uh, they will drift a little bit, uh, and then our grandkids will get a little less uh, than, what, eh, than what we got, uh, and then our great-grandkids, uh, and before you know it, uh, they don't look like us, uh, they don't think like us, us, they don't act like us, but worse than that, they don't look and act like saved apostolics. Well, Brother Varnell, what does all that mean? I need every adult, every elder, and every mother and father in this room to hear me real carefully right now. God's plan and promises for our lives, the parents, the elders, does not stand separate from God's plan for our children. Every promise of God given to us also includes our seed after us. Oh yeah, the very first promise in the Bible, hallelujah. The very first promise in the Bible is this, I will establish my covenant between me and thee. This is God talking to Abraham. The very first covenant made in the scripture. God says to Abraham, I'm going to establish a covenant between me and you. And that would be awesome if it stopped right there for Abraham, but it don't stop there. It said between me and thee and thy seed after thee. And then he said, not in your generation, in their generation, for, and watch this, everlasting covenant. To be a God unto you, Abraham, and thy seed after thee. When God gave you the Holy Ghost, the promise you got 
was not just for you. That promise came with a complete promise for every generation that comes after you until the coming of the Lord. It's not enough for me just to live for God. I've got to keep this in my children so that the church goes and grows and expands throughout the generation. covenant was not just for Abraham, but it extended from its proffer to its conclusion to the next generation and the next generation until he comes back for his church. God is saying that his promises are to you and to your seed after you forever. Some of you need to let faith start to rise in you because you're sitting here and your children are still lost or your children are not walking with God. Don't think you did something wrong. Don't let the devil beat you up. I've had my parents. They were the greatest parents in the world. I lost my mind for a while. The Bible doesn't say they'll never depart from truth. It says when they're old, they're going to come back. They're not going to depart when they're old. I'm telling you tonight, we need to realize it's still the promise of God that we're supposed to have our children. The devil's not supposed to have them. I find myself walking and praying in the church and I find myself saying it over and over. Satan, you can't have my kids. Satan, you're not having my children. Satan, you get your hands off of them. They're called. They're anointed. They're blessed. Before I sent my boys to school, I taught them how to defend themselves. I did. You can think I'm crazy if you want to, but I don't want them to get bullied. I said, don't you ever start a fight, but don't you ever run away from one. And if you get in a fight or a big kid's bullying you, throw the first punch and hit him in his nose so hard that it blinds him. Anybody ever been hitting the nose really hard? For about 20 seconds, you're blind as a bat. I said, and if he's real big, run. After you hit him, take off. Why? Because I want to teach my children how to fight for themselves. You know how you do that spiritually? You take them to prayer with you and you let them hear you with groanings that cannot be uttered. I wish somebody would preach with me a while. I wish some saints would begin to moan and pray with me for a while. I come to tell you the reason why I know how to pray is because I heard my mama pray and I heard my daddy pray. You know, I don't really remember all the great messages that were preached when I was a child. But Sister Williams, my distinct memories, just like it was yesterday, I can close my eyes in those old night, all night prayer meetings uh, when the elder saints would bring rocking chairs and put down the old pallets uh, and they would take care of the babies while the younger moms and dads uh, went to war with hell. And I remember them rocking and praying and I didn't know what I was 
But I know that I would lay there and Grandma Freeman would get to talking in tongues and then she'd break out and sing in tongues. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody sing in tongues. It'll curdle your blood. But I distinctly remember one night I was about five years old, I think, four or five. And it was somewhere over late in the night. I'd already been asleep. And I was awakened to that sound of Grandma Freeman in her 90, late 90s at that point, rocking and singing in that high, broken voice uh, in an unknown tongue. And all of a sudden, as a four or five-year-old little boy, I didn't know what she was saying. I didn't understand what was going on. But tonight, if I close my eyes, I can still hear it. And I can still remember it. And I lay there as tears puddled up in my ears. I don't know what she was saying, but I know who she was talking to. And what I remember most is the sounds of battle that they did for us. I remember Brother Kraft, when he would get lost in the Holy Ghost, he'd put his hands between his knees and rock, and he'd let that high pitch cry out. Ooh. And all of a sudden, every child in that place would settle down. My dad told me of a service when I was a child. Hallelujah. When over the A.D. Urshan, that would be the grandfather, the great-grandfather of Brother Nathaniel Urshan that pastored here once. He was preaching a revival. I was about three at the time. And dad said that the church had been praying all night, night after night after night. They'd been seeking God for a move and a break of the Holy Ghost. They'd been bombarding heaven. And they said all of a sudden, Brother Urshan stepped to the pulpit. He said every head bowed and every eye closed. And my dad said it felt like he was standing in the tundra of Alaska because a sound came in that room. He said it sounded like wind of a hurricane blowing. He said and all of a sudden, he said it began to get dark in that room. And he said I opened my eyes and looked up and all the lights were covered by a blue haze of the Holy Ghost and the Chicago kind of glory of God moved in that room and my dad said I stood and watched it the bishop threw his hands up everybody stood with their eyes closed and their hands up and the bishop began to rock in the Holy Ghost and that crowd was blowing and rocking with him and all of a sudden that old prophet said in the name of Jesus and an entire section of that church would collapse What do you want for your children? I want that. I want a move of God. 
that is so powerful and so deep and so sustained that no flesh will able to stand in glory in its presence. I want to move a God that's so powerful and so deep that it takes the hardest heart and it just crumbles it. I want to move a God that takes a desire for worldly things out of my children. I want to move a God that changes me. That's what I'm talking about right there. There is a sound that comes with what I'm talking about. It's when the mothers in Zion begin to travail as though they are giving birth. I wonder if everybody right now, we're apostolics. We have a voice. We use it in worship. We use it in prayer. I wonder how many people in this room would simply lift your voice right now and begin to call on that name of Jesus. Mate. Mama, if your babies are here, you better get them around you and you better get up around them and you better hold them close and you better pray like their lives depended on it because they do. If you're a young man in here, you're not yet married, you better bombard heaven for the will of God. Are there any mothers in Zion that know how to travail? Are there any fathers that know how to pray with groanings that cannot be uttered? around this altar aren't the only ones I wonder if in the pew from the front to the back side to side would begin to reach in the Holy Ghost come on open your mouth and bombard heaven with this Not my children, 
not my babies, not this sick world. This sick world will not chew up my children. This divine order of God is going to be their life and their future. Amasa, hallelujah, no more.